Okay, so uh, this morning we will be looking at uh, Luke 16, verses 19 through 31. That's the story of the rich man and Lazarus. And this is a very, very profound uh, uh, story that Jesus gave us here. There's, there's just a lot to be drawn from it. So let's, let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that this is your word. Lord, we thank you that you have given us your word, Lord, that your word is a source of life. Lord, through your word, we get understanding so that we can hate every false way, that we can love what is good, and Lord, draw near to you. Father, we thank you that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by your word. Lord, we thank you that as we break the word open this morning, Lord, you will speak to us. And so, Father, we, we prepare our hearts, we submit to you, we yield to you, we lay down our lives before you. We ask, Father, speak, Lord, for your servants here, and Lord, work in our hearts. We invite you to do that. Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so Luke chapter 16, verses 19 through 21. It starts off, there was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, full of sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Pretty amazing picture of uh, contrasts here. All right, verse 22, the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. And being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy upon me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. An amazing reversal of fortunes there. Verse 25, but Abraham said, son, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, Father, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Amazing story. Okay, so the first question we want to ask is, who is this rich man? Who was he? All right, we've given a very brief description. Jesus gives us a few details. First of all, it tells us, that he was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, what does that mean? Okay. Next thing it tells us <clears throat> is that he feasted sumptuously every day. All right. That's not a very uh, broad description, not, not much detail there. And uh, so Jesus does not mention any specific sins or vices which the, of which the rich man was guilty. 
We can discern certain things about his character, however, by the description that's given. Okay, and there's a little bit of a delay in the, uh, in the PowerPoint, so I'll wait. Okay, so we'll, we'll look at some of the details, all right? Okay, the rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen, all right? First of all, that tells us that it's obvious that he was quite wealthy. All right, purple clothing could only be worn by the privileged. Purple dye was the rarest and most expensive of his day. I looked this up, and uh, interestingly, uh, purple dye was made from a sea snail. Uh, they, had to, they had to harvest sea snails in order to get the material to make the purple dye. And what they said was, in order to get one pound of purple dye, you had to harvest four million of these sea, sna these sea snails. So that, that, that was, just think of the amount of expense and how rare this was. And, uh, and so this, is, this man specifically was clothed in purple and fine linen. Now, fine linen was also something that only the wealthy could afford. Uh, the, the best linen came from Egypt, and that's most likely, likely what he was wearing. But he was a man who wanted to present himself uh, in, in a way where people knew uh, how, how wealthy he was. It also says the rich man feasted sumptuously every day. Now, I could see feasting sumptuously, you know, when you have a party, when you have people over. This guy made a point of doing it every single day. So not only was this man rich, but he wanted everyone to know it. Okay, that's one thing that's characteristic of this guy. Now, you know, Jesus, a few verses earlier, you know, was speaking to the Pharisees. And this is the Pharisees who were lovers of money, heard all this, and they scoffed at him. All right, so the Pharisees were religious people who loved money. They were religious people who put a high value on their possessions and on how they looked to the people outside. And it says, Jesus said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. So the, uh, so, you know, one thing we need to recognize is that um, is that the, the Pharisees were people who uh, they they uh, they took care of themselves. Okay, they 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 did all the right things. They were probably very disciplined people. Uh, they probably knew how to behave well in public. They were probably very mannerly and cultured. Okay, but these were people who loved money, and so they they had something in their heart that God was not pleased with. And, and I, I think it's important for us to consider uh, what a little further what that means. What about Lazarus, though, the poor man? What does the Bible tell us about him? Okay. Jesus tells us that he lay at the rich man's gate. All right. So think about this. He lay at the rich man's gate, right? The rich man came in and out of his, his gate frequently every time he left his house. And every time he went past, this poor man was laying at his gate. What do you think he thought about Lazarus? Okay, the Bible describes Lazarus for us. Okay, he was hungry and would have been satisfied with just the scraps that fell from the rich man's table. This man was in need. There was nothing prestigious about him. Uh, there, he, there was no putting on airs. He couldn't. He, was, he really was helpless. He's about as helpless as a person can be, it seems. 
he had open sores, ulcers that the dogs came and licked. Now remember, Jesus is using this terminology. Why is he telling us this? Jesus wants to paint an extreme picture of a man who is very much in need, a man who is very, very unattractive. I think we can probably guess that he smelled as well. He probably wasn't, wasn't uh, groomed at all and, and uh, probably wasn't able to bathe with the kind of frequency that others were. So Jesus gives us this picture of this, this poor man, right? And uh, no description of his character is given, either of virtues or vices, all right? Now we do know he ended up at, in Abraham's bosom. So I think we can assume that in, in his great need, Lazarus called on the Lord. Okay, so Lazarus was a person who had nothing to offer in the natural, in the physical. And, and he, as a matter of fact, he was repulsive from an appearance standpoint. And Jesus deliberately paints his picture in a very stark way. So here's the man on one hand. He, he was clothed in purple and fine linen. He feasted sumptuously every day. You wanted to be his friend. You wanted to get next to him. He was a person almost certainly of influence, a man who could present opportunities to you. So people would have been drawn to him and people would have been repulsed by the poor man. And what Jesus is saying is God sees things very, very differently than we do. And it's important for us to note that. Okay, so what happened next? I'll wait for that. There we go. What happened next? All right. Lazarus died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Interesting. So God apparently was very interested in Lazarus and was not at all repulsed by his uh, condition of, of helplessness, of, of being feeble, uh, of I'm sure being humble and ashamed, embarrassed of, about who he was. These things didn't put off the Lord. God still made a point of having him brought into a place of honor and comfort. It says the rich man also died and was buried. Okay, again, not, no surprise there. That's the way it works. Probably had a very nice funeral. Probably had groups of people saying very, very positive things about him, right? Uh, you know, I'm sure he gave to charity. You know, the Pharisees gave large sums of money to charity. The problem was what? In Matthew chapter 6, we tell us, he tells us that we should make sure that we don't practice our good deeds, our piety before men in order to be seen by them. He said, because if you do that, you will receive no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Okay, when, when you have an eye to what people think, and if what you're doing is in any way affected by your desire to be known by men, seen and noticed, God completely checks out of the situation and you get nothing on, on the heavenly side. Right? God cares about purity of heart. Remember the, the woman with, with, who, who put in the two copper coins, and that was everything she had. And Jesus said she gave more than all the rest in God's economy. And it wasn't just because it was extreme, although it was, but she was giving from the heart. And Jesus said, when you give alms, he said, don't sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the, in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by men. But when you give alms, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your alms may be in secret. So again, paying attention to the heart, left hand and right hand, what does that mean? We're not even supposed to be patting ourselves on the back or keeping track of what we've given. Okay, because we, even, even in private, we can draw uh, the wrong kind of inference in that. We can become proud of ourselves. God doesn't want any of that. You know, when you give to a poor person, when you serve the Lord in any capacity, it is an honor and a privilege that you've been allowed to do that. And any other way of looking at it is not legitimate. Okay, 
So the rich man also died and was buried. Again, probably had a nice funeral service. It says, in Hades, being in torment, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus in his bosom. This must have been amazing to him. Here, he thought everything was okay. He was moving along just fine. But here he, here he is in torment. Okay, what does that mean in torment? Well, you know, the Bible tells us some things about, uh, you know, both etern our eternal reward and also eternal punishment. There's a number of very key passages that, that God gives us. And it's very clear from the Bible. The Bible talks about eternal torment being something of which we are conscious, something we're aware of. It isn't that, that wicked people are just dismissed and stop, uh, you know, cease being. The Bible talks about people being cast out into outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So this man was experiencing this. He was able to see that he was missing out on something, that he was in torment, but that someone else was blessed. Now, exactly the inference of this in terms of what people in heaven or hell will see, I don't think that's the point of the parable here. But the Bible does tell us that there will be regret, there will be an understanding of what went wrong by those who, who don't make it into heaven. Every one of us has a responsibility now before the Lord to, to, to take what God says seriously and to act upon it. So here he was in torment, lifting up his eyes and seeing his state compared with, uh, with uh, Lazarus's. So what did he do? Okay, it says he called out to Abraham to send Lazarus to bring relief. Right, please, Abraham, let him dip his finger in water and put a drop on my tongue. What kind of desperation? Does that reflect? He must have really been in, in, in tremendous pain and discomfort. If he wants just one drop, that's what he was thinking about. I just need one drop. Of course, that wouldn't have satisfied him, right? So then he was told that his request could not be fulfilled and that the relief would not be coming, right? That was, that was a very final word that Abraham gave. This man's very bad situation would never change. Right, and we need to recognize this is, we are all headed toward the judgment, right? It is appointed to men once to die and after that comes the judgment. So we need to recognize Jesus is communicating something to us that he wants us to really take to heart. You know, while we're living our nice lives and thinking about, you know, the, what color we're gonna, you know, paint our dining room or what kind of new, new model car we're going to get, there's other things going on that really carry much more weight and will echo into eternity. All right, so the next, uh, Page, okay, it says the story continues. All right, the rich man's next request was that Abraham send Lazarus back from the dead to warn the rich man's brothers. All right, so all of a sudden this man now becomes aware, not only is he in trouble, and he's in trouble forever, but he, his brothers are in trouble because they all approach life the same way he did. They probably also were rich. They probably also were pharisaical and, and, uh, and cared about what people thought more than what God thought, right? So he says, please send, a send Lazarus back from the dead to one my brothers, okay? Then Abraham tells him that this cannot be done and that the brothers of the rich man have Moses and the prophets. Okay, so this is a very powerful phrase that is given here, okay? They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. Now think about, our relationship to the word of God. Think about our relationship to messages that we hear, okay? Moses and the prophets, you know, God's word 
is his vehicle for awakening us out of spiritual sleep and, and spiritual death. It's his, his vehicle for showing us his great provision and it's his, his way of, of showing us how we can come into right relationship with God. The Bible says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. All right. So here, Jesus is shifting a tremendous amount of importance and weight to Moses and the prophets. That is the word of God, which, of course, now we have the Old Testament and the New Testament. Okay. so then the rich man continues to plead with Abraham. Now, listen to what he says here. It seems to make sense. He said, if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Well, that makes sense, right? I mean, okay, so they have Moses and the prophets, but if somebody comes back from the dead, well, I mean, obviously they're going to repent, right? Well, wrong. Abraham said, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Now, that may strike us as odd because you think, well, if I see something miraculous, Obviously, I'm going to uh, respond to it. I'm going to uh, take, take stock of what's going on. That, that may be true, but if you think about it, there were specific instances in the Bible when Jesus healed on the Sabbath, where it says the Pharisees went out and took counsel about how they might destroy him because he had healed someone on the Sabbath. You see, with our, our blindness, spiritual blindness is a powerful thing. And we could be deceived and we could be seeing things the wrong way and be convinced that we're right. Those Pharisees, I mean, they, they knew Jesus had performed a miracle. They were there. And yet, because of their spiritual blindness, because of their hardness of heart, because of their desire to justify themselves and make themselves look good, they could not receive even miraculous signs. They, those, that was not enough to make them repent. So here again, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Okay, so just a couple of points that are fairly obvious from this. While still alive, the rich man should have taken it upon himself to help Lazarus. He certainly had the means to do so. The Bible teaches that God has special regard for the poor, right? Now, poor again, socially speaking, poor people are not somebody you want to be close to. Poor people, a lot of times they're poor and it's their own fault. I mean, quite honestly, uh, you know, a good number of the people who are asking for money along the street are people who have uh, alienated all the people in their, fa in their families, people they, they could have gone to for help. They've, they've gotten fired from jobs because of either bad behavior or drug problems, alcohol problems. Or maybe they're just born into a, a poor situation. So because they're in a poor situation, Maybe they're not as, as clever or as literate or as, as educated, as refined as you would like. But here, the Bible tells us that God has special regard for the poor. Okay? Jesus identified with the least of these in Matthew chapter 25 when presiding over the final judgment. He said, I was hungry and you gave me food or, or you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was naked and you clothed me right? Uh, I was sick and you came to me. I was in prison and you visited me. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Again, the whole idea of meeting and, and embracing a stranger in love is something God puts a high priority on. It's something that goes against our natural inclinations just as human beings, right? But look, let, let's, let's consider what, what Jesus said. He said, people, he, people will say to him, hey, 
Lord, when did we see you hungry? I mean, Jesus hungry? When did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty? When did we see you uh, sick or without clothing or a stranger? When did we see that? And Jesus said, truly I say to you, whatever you have done to the least of these, my brethren, you've done to me. And the result of that, that judgment, at the end of that judgment, he said, those at his, at his right hand, uh, or those that are left, these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. To those righteous, to those who are obedient to the Lord, those who have taken up God's values and God's perspective and are walking in faith in the Lord and acting out the gospel, it says, Jesus is going to say to them, come, blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from before the foundation of the world because I was hungry and you fed me. Right? But to the others, you're going to say, Depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, because I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was naked and you did not clothe me. So again, I just want all of us, you know, now we, we know we're not saved by works. It's important for us to, to recognize this, right? We're not saved by works, but it is a high priority with the Lord that we show real practical love to those around us who are in need, attractive or unattractive, right? And that means people who, you might be at work and there may be someone who's going through divorce, or there may be someone who uh, is, is dealing with a big financial reversal or some, anything like that. It could be anything. It could be someone who's hungry or thirsty, right? It could be someone who the rest of the office is ganged up on them and they feel completely estranged, and they don't think they have any friends, and you have an opportunity to be a friend to them, right? Whatever it is, whatever the context, it's a high priority with the Lord that we show real practical love to those who are in need. And we don't do it in a condescending way, like, okay, well, I'm gonna help you. I'm, I'm gonna reach down and help you. That's not what it is. Jesus was not like that. Think of the way Jesus treated Peter after the resurrection, after Peter had denied him. How did Jesus treat him? right? There was a drawing in. There was a sharing of his heart. He, he spoke to, to Peter on, on a level that, that brought Peter honor. That's the way God wants us to deal with people who are poor and needy, all right? But we know that we're, we're, not, we're not justified by our works. We never could be. Our works would never be good enough to, to commend us to God and to, to wipe away our sins, right? We are saved by the blood of Jesus. And I want to encourage you as a believer, Okay, if you truly have faith in the Lord, we are in a place of safety where we can, we can honestly come to terms with areas that maybe were coming, coming up short. Maybe it doesn't occur to you that, you know, uh, to, to do these things. In fact, let's go on to the next slide. I'm sorry. In order to do this, we must open our eyes and our hearts. Okay, that's what we have to do. In order to do this, we must open our eyes and our hearts. Okay, next slide. Now, here's, this is something I wanted to consider. There's another problem with this story. It seems that the rich man was surprised by his final state. Whatever his understanding was, he never expected this. If he had, he would have prepared for it. The possibility of spiritual deception is a clear and present danger. And I want to, the reason why I'm speaking to us, all, everyone in our church, to my understanding, uh, claims to be a Christian, to, have, to belong to the Lord and to have put their faith in Jesus. And if you have not, I would just encourage you, the Lord's arms are open wide for you. He loves you and he wants you to be with him. He wants to commit to your heart and live in you. 
But the possibility of spiritual deception is a clear and present danger. Okay? Questions that we should ask ourselves, and it's, it's just as believers. Okay, if we're not aware of the needs of those around us, why aren't we? Is it possible, you know, on the one hand, it could be that we just need to just grow in the Lord and, and, and come up further into Jesus. It could be that it's entirely possible. Do we know the Lord? Okay, the next thing, do we think and pray about the eternal state of our relatives, friends, neighbors, and coworkers? Again, this is something the Lord has given to us. You know, we are a kingdom of priests. We are, we are God's people. We're his representatives. We're like God's invasion force in the world. You know, you, we, we all heard about the, the uh, assault at Normandy when, when the Allied forces stormed the beaches and got a, a foothold in Europe in order to defeat Hitler, right? That beachhead was a key element of the, of the retaking of Europe. Well, we are God's beachhead here in the earth. The Bible tells us, beloved, you know, we are of God and we know that the whole world falls under the power of the wicked one. So we're, we are God's representatives here and we carry the living water. So the question is, do we think and pray about the eternal state of our relatives, friends, neighbors, and coworkers? Okay, or do we just turn a deaf ear and a blind eye to them? Very important question to ask. And again, as a believer, okay, Jesus died for your sins. Jesus right now intercedes for you at the right hand of the Father. Okay, the blood of Jesus cleanses from all sin. And I want to encourage you, we can look at these hard questions. We must look at these hard questions. But we do it from a context of those who've been forgiven and washed. That we, we have had our sins taken away. That we can, we can hear the correction of the Lord. We're not looking to, to, we can't impress God. He sees exactly what's going on. So let's, let's be honest with the Lord. Okay, and ask these, these questions of ourselves. Not be afraid to do that. Let's ask the Lord, Lord, why don't I feel uh, that kind of concern? Why am I self-absorbed? Why am I too concerned about the material possessions I have or how I look on the outside? Okay, so next page. Uh, we must be certain that we really are in the grace of God, that we are washed in the blood and have the Holy Spirit living in us. The Bible says, test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Paul was writing this to the Corinthians. There were people there who professed faith in Jesus. The Lord was working among them. But he wanted to ask the question, are you sure that you personally are in the grace of God? Do you have a relationship with the Lord? What, is, what does his word mean to you? Uh, do you sense his presence and his Holy Spirit working in you? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? We need to make sure that we're really in. You know, Jesus said, uh, on, there's a number of, of places, but he said, strive to enter by the narrow gate. For many, he says, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Now he's talking about people seeking to enter at, enter at the end of the age. But what he's saying is there, there are going to be people who said, wait a second, uh, I'm a Christian. I'm in, right? And he's going to say, I never knew you. There's going to be a lot of people in that category. So we need to make sure that we are not people who are deceived. We, we have to be sure that we really are in the grace of God, that we are joined to Jesus, the living vine, that we are branches out of that vine critical okay because when it when it's, it's going to be you standing before the lord on that day it's not going to be you and, and new life church or you and your family it's going to be you and you personally must be connected to jesus you need the grace of god working in your life okay the next thing we have to make this our first priority 
So if, if you're not sure, if there's any doubt in your mind, get before the Lord. Call upon the Lord. Set aside some time. Um, make it our first prayer. Our, only the grace of God can change our hearts to love our neighbor. So if you don't have any love for your neighbor, if this just seems like a completely foreign thing, what we're talking about here, call on the Lord. Maybe he needs to reawaken you. Maybe he needs to impart something to you. Maybe you are a child of God, and God just wants to give you additional grace and bring you up to a higher level in serving him, in loving other people. But, you know, again, make sure that we are attached to the Lord, that we're receiving his grace, that his life is actually at work in us, and we have received a new heart. Okay, so if we know the Lord, we should commit ourselves to living out the gospel. God wants us to give ourselves to serving others, okay? What did Jesus do while he was here? He said he came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. We can't give our lives as a ransom for many, but we can serve. The Bible says the love of Christ controls us because we're convinced that one, Jesus, has died for all, and therefore all have died. And listen to this, and he died for all, that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him, for him who for their sake died and was raised. So that's where God wants to take us. We need to participate in that and call out to the Lord to, to wake that up in us. Okay? And as a believer, you are God's ambassador. You can share the word of life. So again, give yourself to, to studying the word, knowing the word, meditating on it. The Bible says uh, that we should, you know, in our hearts, we should reverence Christ as Lord. And we should always be prepared to make a defense for the hope that is in us, but to do it with gentleness and reverence. But again, that, that fellowship with the Lord, that meditating on his word, rejoicing in him, praying, that puts us in a place where when an opportunity comes, we recognize it, we can speak the word to someone who is currently dead in their sins and on the path to destruction. You're the person who can, who can share that. And so here's the question. What is the area of your life where God wants to work? That's an important question. Amen? We need to, to just take this before the Lord. Again, we have a God who loves us. So whether, whether you, if you have doubts about your salvation, come to the Lord. Jesus said, come to me all who labor and are weighed down and I will give you rest. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Just think, you're coming to a God who created the world, spoke the world into existence right? The one who is going to wrap everything up and judge the world. But how, is it, how does he describe himself? Gentle and humble in heart. He wants you to come to him. Just come with your, your hands open, your hearts open. Say, Jesus, I need to know that I really know you. I need to know that my life is pleasing to you. So a good question to ask, the last question, what is the area of your life where God wants to work? Let's take ourselves, let's go before the Lord and, and let him work. We are his ambassadors in the earth. We are his program for the salvation of those who are currently lost. Amen. So let, I just want to pray and then I'll give this back to Pastor Philip. Amen. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Lord, we thank you that Jesus, while we were yet sinners, Lord, when we were away from you, when we didn't care, Lord, you died for us. And Jesus, we thank you that even now, Lord, your heart is open. Your hands are held out. Lord, you said that anyone who thirsts can come and drink of the water of life freely. And so, Lord, we come. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts. 
Father, bless your people with a spirit of grace and intercession. Father, cause us to walk in the light as you are in the light. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.